And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. Really good to have your company along with us today. And I'm really pleased to have at the microphone today, Sophie Gerber, who is from Sophie Grace Compliance and Legal. Welcome to the show, Sophie. Thanks for having me, Ray. Wonderful. So before we kick in today's subject, which is CFDs, Contracts for Difference, maybe if you can give the listeners a little bit of background of Sophie Grace and how you came to Sophie Grace yourself and your background in this space. Sure. So I'm the founder of Sophie Grace Compliance and Legal. So I were a law firm on the one hand and also a, a compliance consulting firm on the other. Uh, And we work in financial services and credit. So we help businesses to obtain what's called an Australian financial services license, Mm -hmm. uh, which has a a number of different iterations, which allow firms to to run financial services businesses. And we also help people with Australian credit licenses, which is on the, the loans and mortgages side of things. So we deal a lot with the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, which is um, more commonly known as ASIC, the companies and the financial services regulator. So we started about uh, in about 2009, uh, helping firms with getting these licenses and then maintaining them. So that's that's quite specifically what we do. Uh, we don't help people with financial advice or um, managing their money. We we just help. Lucky people you. To, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We just help people who who do that uh, and help them to to maintain the licenses. Now, um, I might point out to the listeners that you've made uh, mention of a lot of acronyms there. We love acronyms on this show, by the way. I refer to them as TLAs, uh, yeah. three other acronyms, but a couple, four ones. So ASIC, the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, you mentioned, and also AFSLs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's one of those things that, you know, I commonly, uh, constantly carp on about is making sure that people that are out there flogging product are licensed. So maybe uh, if you can give a brief explanation to the listeners about uh, authorizations and uh, CARs and ARs, what they are as well. Yeah, so uh, there's more uh, acronyms, Ray. Uh, so <laughs> the first one, uh, Australian Financial Services Licence. So uh It has a lot of different activities which it picks up, which require uh, licensing. Uh, Most activities which involve um, the taking or talking about money uh, require someone to be licensed in in some form. And the way that's done is through the the AFSL. Uh, There's also what you've mentioned, which is the AR and CAR, so authorised representative or corporate authorised representative. So an AFSL can authorise an individual person or a company or sometimes both to operate under their licence. So what um, is really important for for consumers is that they make sure that whoever they're dealing with uh, is authorised in some form, either holding their own licence or holding an an authorised representative uh, with the right authorizations to, to receive the services that that they're getting from that person, ASIC have also implemented what's called the Financial Advisors Register, uh, which is really um, a simple and easy tool to use if you're getting financial advice uh, from someone to have a look uh, on the register and and find out more about um, the qualifications and and work history and authorizations of of the person that you're dealing with. So. 
um, it is important to, to do some background research, as you say. Now, one of the things I might point out to the listeners as well is that whenever they see or hear uh, any advertising from a financial organisation or somebody touting a product, they need to be quoting these numbers, don't they? Because, I mean, I get sent stuff a lot by people, listeners, friends, barbecue conversations, etc., and they ask me about various offerings. The first thing I must admit to you, Sophie, is I'm looking for is their number, their AR number or car number or their AFSL number, so that if necessary, as you've rightly pointed out, you can look them up. Now, I'm still surprised in your dealings with people on a day-by-day basis. Are are they doing the right thing by putting their numbers on their ads and making sure that people can see their authorizations clearly? I'm sometimes surprised that they're not as clear as what they could be. So there, I mean, people who've who've come to us are probably more on the the compliance side than the non-compliance side of that (laughs) requirement, certainly, Ray. Uh, But... um, yeah, I mean, it's very easy to to overlook even even the most basic things. So so yeah, it, it could could foreseeably happen for no uh, nefarious reason. Uh, ASIC does have some guidelines which which they've put out there about the size uh, that they expect disclaimers to be in, um, so that they're legible to to people. So um, yeah, I, I think. If you didn't see see a license number, it would be worth writing back to that person and asking them what it is and why you can't see it. Yeah, I must admit that's the first thing I ask when I'm doing due diligence on any investment offering. And interestingly, I can speak from personal experience. We, uh, OTG Capital, got pinged by ASIC earlier this year because it's not only the size of the disclaimer, it's also the proximity we found out of the disclaimer to making an assertion and then making sure the disclaimer is very close to it. Mm, And uh, we mm. we found out all about that. uh, About um, Easter Thursday, we found out out and we had uh, yeah it was a fascinating time Sophie I've got to tell you I uh, my public trustee and I were having interesting conversations I was actually on my way up to Byron Bay to go to go see Midnight Oil and I'm having this incredible discussion in a car about compliance on Easter Thursday wow. and it was amazing yeah. and and you know obviously when ASIC say jump we jumped and uh, mm. we jumped very very high but anyway it, it's a fascinating world and uh, I think one of the really big reasons I wanted you to come on the show was to really, uh, I think, explore not just what we're going to talk about today around CFDs, but also the world that you and I live in, in making sure that what we are doing is compliant with government regulations so that consumers out there have comfort that they're not getting ripped off. And I mean, there's been a lot in the news about this even recently, hasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. There's always things happening uh, there's always going to be bad players, unfortunately, uh, and people who who've done nothing wrong, uh, but but are targeted or or are victims. So, yeah, it um, it's disappointing to read about, definitely. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, just as a quick aside, given that you are a law firm, have you ever found yourself um, representing consumers that have been hard done by by unscrupulous financial providers? So, just because of our size and and the nature of what we do, we tend to stick to um, assisting financial services firms rather than people on on the consumer side. Mm-hmm. Okay, probably good to focus and and keep a, a very a sharpshooter idea of what you do day by day rather than spreading you, yourself too thin, right? Yeah, it's 
not because we're bad people and we, <laughs> we only want to represent uh, big institutions or, or financial firms, but there's only so much, so much you can do, and and you've just got to got to maintain a focus. So that's, oh, no, that's no, where I, we stay. I totally agree. I mean, you you are a, a company founder, and and uh, you know, having founded businesses myself, you you can't spread yourself too thinly. You've got to do what you do, and be profitable at doing that as well. So I'm always pleased, and certainly, you know, I came across Safety Grace a little while back uh, when we were looking at our own. Uh, compliance and thankfully I guess not thankfully or whatever but you know our, our compliance manager is, is long time you know proponent of that so we prepared our own uh, documentation and the like but I'm sure and I know that uh, you come highly recommended in that space so look we're just about time for a short station announcement you're here on dollars and making sense I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital and I have at the microphone today with me Sophie Gerber who is the managing director and founder of Sophie Grace who specialise in compliance in and around financial products we're going to go for a short break and we'll be back in just a moment And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and with me at the microphone today is Sophie Gerber from Sophie Grace, specialists in compliance and legal in and around financial services. Now, today, Sophie, I wanted to bring you onto the show to talk about CFDs. So I'm going to flick straight over to you, and you can explain what that TLA means, CFD. What's a CFD? Well, TLA is a new one. For me as uh, well. Three, le- but, three, three letter yeah, acronym. <laughs> yeah, I remember that now. Um, so a CFD is a contract for difference. So it's a form of derivative, uh, which has been in the market. So uh, for a while now, uh, some people uh, use CFD, the term CFD and margin foreign exchange as, as quite, quite similar products. They bundle them together. So it's it's a contract, uh, which is a financial product. It's a derivative. It allows people to benefit from the change in price of an underlying asset. So uh, if you take the price of a share, you're buying a contract that says I'm going to benefit from the price rise or the potentially the price fall of, of a share without buying the share. Okay, so let me just dive into that uh, discussion point just a little bit. So are you saying then that a CFD is uh, where you are looking at, and I'll just pick a a company name that everyone's familiar with, BHP, and I'm just going to pick a false number, but it's just for the purposes of demonstration. So if the stock price of BHP is $10, when you take out a CFD, a contract for difference, are you saying to yourself, okay, I'm thinking the price is going to go up or down. Is is that what a CFD does? So similar to a, a purchasing a stock, you can purchase, you can go long on a CFD or you can go short on a CFD. So if you're short on a CFD, you're hoping that, that the price will go down. If you're long on a CFD, you're hoping that the price will go up. The other thing that, that people love about CFDs is that um, generally they come with an element of leverage. So they can be leveraged and the value of what, if the price, sorry, if the price of the underlying goes up by $1, you could be leveraged 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, 200 times, and in the past it it could have been 1,000 times. So where if you owned the stock and it went up by a dollar, you'd make a dollar. 
for CFD is what people like is that that you could make a thousand dollars from from the the price rise. The difficulty is if you you um, place your trade and it goes in the other direction, you could also lose um, ah. order of magnitude. <laughs> so um, there's there's definitely lots of pros and cons right there. Uh, with CFDs. So so I, I think it's worthy of a little bit of uh, more fleshing out here. So when you talk about leverage, our listeners may not always be familiar with a term that you and I come across mm. all the time, but leverage is borrowing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a form of borrowing. In this state uh, context for a derivative, it's not a, a loan or a borrowing as such, but it's a, um, a magnification. So um it's magnified by by a certain number of times, so 10, 20, 50, 100, depending on on the type of CFD that you're purchasing and and what you choose uh, to be the magnification. So uh, that might be a better term term to use is is magnifying. Okay, so when you take out a CFD and you are using leverage or you're using this magnifying element, the person accepting your trade has to obviously accept that they're willing to take on that magnification, one would assume. Yeah, however, what what they also require is that that you have a certain amount of funds uh, in your account. So there's now provisions which mean that uh, you can't actually lose more in Australia for most retail clients than what what you've got in your account. So you can place your trade, but you also have to have a certain amount of of buffer in your account uh, to cover your trade going in the wrong direction rather than in the right direction. Uh, Mm. So there's it's less about them them taking a a risk on you uh, as with um, a a loan or some sort of mortgage or borrowing uh, than than the magnification because the person who you're entering into the trade with already has some of your money and it's what they call margin. Okay. So, so okay, let, let's, again, go through a, 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 an exercise. So we've got a $10 stock. I'm going to take a contract out on it and I use a magnifier and I, I say 100 okay, for the moment, and the person accepts my trade. So I'm, in fact, risking $1,000. 10 times 100 is $1,000. Okay, so they're now saying to me, um, uh, do I give them, do I have to give them access to $1,000 or do I simply place the trade and they know they know that I've got in my account that $1,000, for example? So do they actually physically withdraw the money or do they simply put it on a marker, for example, and say, I'm earmarking that those funds? So because... If you're saying that they've got to have coverage, I'm, I'm scratching my head going, well, why do the CFD anyway? If you've got the money to cover the, the call, wouldn't you just place the money? Uh, it's because if the price goes up from $10 to $11 um, or it goes down, you don't have to um, – well, you don't, you don't benefit from the, the leverage to quite the same extent. Right. So you're not – um, if it goes up to $11, then you, you'll already have made $100 in, in your account. Whereas if you've only bought $10 worth of one share for $10, then you've only made a dollar. Okay. Okay. So it, it sounds very attractive, but as you rightly say, uh, the market doesn't always go up and go your way, does it? Definitely doesn't. <laughs> 
And and funnily enough, I mean, the, the number of times in barbecue conversations, Sophie, that I get bailed up and people are saying, oh, look, investing in shares is just like gambling. I'm going, listen, when you turn up to a roulette table, I know what the odds are at the roulette table and you can gamble against that. But I just simply look at the edifices at Barangaroo and think to myself, they're making money no matter what. So they've obviously worked out their odds. When I invest in shares, I do my research and I know whether you know the company's got the good financials and the good fundamentals and good management, et cetera. There really is a big difference there, isn't there? You're telling the story, Ray. You, you're probably <laughs> right. You're probably right. But I don't think everyone um, has that experience. And, and certainly the markets can be irrational too. Oh, well, I mean, we are living through uh, irrationality. And uh, unfortunately, I am old enough to have lived through the irrationality of the markets uh, during 99, 2000, 2001 with the internet and tech wreck. And then again, with the housing bubble bursting in America in uh, in the GFC in, in the 2008, 2009, et cetera. They were very, very interesting times. Anyway, we're moving on. Now, when we're talking about contracts for difference, what asset class do CFDs primarily relate to? So do, are they particularly only in shares or do they relate to other asset classes as well? So shares are a popular one. Uh, and then in Australia, you can often buy with a provider shares, uh, CFDs over shares on lots of different exchanges, not just ones on the ASX. Uh, the other one that's very popular is foreign exchange. Okay. Uh, that those are, um those have been very popular over time. People also have indices, uh, CFDs over indices. And one of the um, very popular ones recently has been the addition of CFDs over cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so those are the, the main ones that, that we see. Okay. Now, you mentioned a term before when we first came back from the break about going long or going short. And again, I I always try and assume a a certain level of knowledge within our listenership, but I just wanted to again explore those two terms. We talked about long, uh, and I think we're comfortable there. But can you tell the listeners what shorting a stock means? Shorting a stock or shorting a CFD? Okay, let's. Shorting a stock is is assuming is assuming that you own it and that that you're then selling it. So you're basically saying, I'd rather sell it. Uh, and I think that the price is is going to go down, so I'm selling it selling it now uh, rather than later. Okay. Well, let's talk about CFDs shorting in in a CFD environment. Well, uh, it's slightly different because it's a synthetic product, but you're basically saying that you think that the price is is going to go down uh, of a stock or some some other asset. Uh, so you're um, predicting that the the underlying asset, whether it's foreign exchange stock, indices, cryptocurrency, you're saying that it's going to go down. So so you're selling it into the market. But it, again, if we go through an exercise and let's use BHP again, just, just as an example, the $10 share, if I short that share, I'm actually selling something that I don't have to buy it later on to replenish it. That's what I'm doing mm. when I'm shorting, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So if everything goes right and I've got it right and I've, my prediction is correct, the share goes from $10 down to nine. I've sold a share I don't have, but it goes down to nine. I now buy a share at nine bucks and I've made a dollar profit. That's the way it mm. works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, I, I might, uh, again, it's of interest to me because 
usually CFDs is what I would refer to because it's a derivative. It's a fairly sophisticated product. Would you agree? Yeah, it is a sophisticated product. And it's not the kind of product that you'd normally suggest to mums and dads and everyday consumers to necessarily dip their toe into. I'm just a lawyer, right? Ah. So <laughs> I just help uh, firms that want to sell these products. So I don't, I don't um, advise advise mums and dads or, or necessarily take take a view on that. Okay. Um, for your listeners, so. No, no, that, and that that's fair comment. That's fair comment because from that perspective, it's it's not your judgment one way or the other. And in the same way, when we, for example, are giving educational uh, content, we are always very, very clear to provide disclaimers that say, you know, we're only giving content. If you then to decide to make a decision on this, you have to do that off your own bat. You've got to mm. either do that or we then recommend you go and get proper financial advice. Now, with regards to CFDs, you say that you work uh, with ASIC quite a lot. Are the rules around CFDs firming up or is it still reasonably uh, fluid? Uh, are CFDs an area now where people are pretty clear in what the rules in engagement are with CFDs? Yeah, so we help firms who want to be regulated by ASIC rather than, say, working for ASIC. We help people to, in their dealings with ASIC and with their maintaining their, their regulation and their, their registration uh, as a financial services licence holder. Over the time, we've been working with firms that provide CFDs into the market. There's been a lot of uh, extra rules which have been put in place by ASIC and also by other regulators around the world that, that have a lot of CFD providers uh, operating in their markets. So uh, there's definitely been been a huge increase in, in very specific um, provisions which apply to CFD providers. Okay. And do you think it's getting easier or harder for people to play in this space? It's getting a lot harder if you want to be a CFD provider that's registered in Australia uh, to to get the license necessary and to maintain the license necessary. It's definitely um, increased exponentially over time. Uh, the difficulty and the cost of of operating here. Now, I, I, again, I'd like to flesh that point out. Is that as a result? I think. Do you think of nefarious players or simply ASIC tightening up the rules to to I guess restrict. The, because I, I've been told CFDs can potentially apply to any kind of thing. You can you could potentially do a CFD on two ants crawling up a wall. I was told once. I don't know whether that's true or not. But is it because ASIC's now looking to, I guess, restrict and, and hopefully save consumers from themselves? Or is it just because there is a lot of complexity there? Uh, it's a bit of both. So uh, over time, there have been bad players certainly in the market. Mm -hmm. I think because what happens with um, the evolution of financial products is that that it does take time for everybody to to understand both the, the positive aspects of them but, but also the negative aspects of them and that applies to CFDs as well as cryptocurrency and things that have occurred in the past um, like during the global financial crisis. Those were also quite complex products uh, which were involved. So yeah, I, I think it's a comb combination of, of both. There's definitely less less players in the market uh, than there were five or five or eight years ago, uh, but there's also more rules um, which, which apply to them. 
Excellent. Well, look, it's just about time for another break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. I'm really pleased to have at the microphone today Sophie Gerber from Sophie Grace, specialists in compliance and legal around financial products. We'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. Always a pleasure to have your company. And today I have Sophie Gerber from Sophie Grace, Compliance and Legal Specialists. And we are talking about contracts for difference, CFDs, that lovely TLA. We love TLAs on this show. And you can't see this, ladies and gentlemen. We're on a video conference and Sophie's giving me this big smile because thankfully, you know, I have a head for radio and we don't see my face when we're talking, which is really, really good news. Now, before we went to the break, we were talking about ASIC and CFDs and regulations. Now, one of the things that I rail against here on my show, I've got to tell you, Sophie, is that I'm not a big fan of crypto and non-fungible tokens and a lot of other stuff. And it's not necessarily that they're good or bad. I come from an IT background, so I love blockchain. I think it's a fabulous technology. But I still see crypto today as being, as Keating used to say, a shiver looking for a spine to crawl up. And so how is CFDs and cryptos crossed over into each other? So in the same way that uh, CFDs have been popular over stocks and, and foreign exchange, which means you never end up owning the underlying asset with a CFD. So if you mm -hmm. have a CFD over the Commonwealth Bank uh, share, you don't get to own a, a Commonwealth Bank share at all. You're just trading a product which deals with the change in the price. So you don't get to turn up to uh, the Commonwealth Bank AGM. You don't get to turn up to, um, to vote. You don't get the dividends. Um, paid directly to you. You don't get something that turns up in your ComSec account. So with uh, cryptocurrency, what has happened is that they've developed derivatives and CFDs over cryptocurrency. And one of the things that I think people like about that is that uh, you get the benefit of, of the price movement in the cryptocurrency without having to figure out how to hold the cryptocurrency because there's all this mechanism around cold storage, warm storage, <laughs> cryptocurrency exchanges, uh, and even I haven't fully got, got in my head around it, and it's complicated. So um, buying a derivative over a, uh, a cryptocurrency takes out that step of um, having to, to get a Bitcoin wallet or a cryptocurrency wallet or a cryptocurrency exchange account. Uh, when you might already have a, a CFD account uh, that you can use or it, it's a player that you've heard of uh, before uh, that might be slightly, would be more reputable potentially than a um, cryptocurrency exchange. So it's a form of, of purchasing the, the benefit you would hope of price rises in cryptocurrency or potentially price depreciation depending on which, which way you place your trade. So, yeah, that, we've seen a lot of that lately, and I think consumers have, have liked the opportunity to get involved in the cryptocurrency market without, um, as I said, having to, to set up an account on a crypto exchange. Well, I must say, hearing that, I feel like I've been educated today. I've learned something because I have been reporting on my own show uh, for the past year, cryptocurrency theft 
that is mm. abound. Now, mm. holding a CFT, what you've just said sounds really attractive because if, for example, I have a trading account um, with a, a broking firm that I know and trust and they are writing a CFD that I can then trade either the ups or downs of, of a Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever crypto offering that you are potentially taking a CFD at without actually having to own it and store it. Now I'm sitting there going, okay, that couldn't be too, you know, that mightn't be too bad because one of the things I've got to tell you, Sophie, I was absolutely staggered earlier this year. There was a theft of crypto coin that occurred in Europe of $600 million of crypto coin and it barely raised a murmur. Mm. Now, if 600 million, and I was saying on the show at the time, if $600 million of diamonds had been lifted, that would have been global headlines, I reckon. Mm. But because Mm. $600 million got lifted out of someone's digital wallet, nobody, I mean, I was surprised. Nobody said Jack. And I was Mm. just sitting there going, are you kidding me? I would have been up in arms, yet, you know, could have been anything. I mean, did you you read about these thefts as well? I'm not sure which one you're talking about, Ray. Um, well, there's <laughs> multiples. That's just yeah. it, though. <laughs> that is the trouble. So I guess one of the things is that in Australia at the moment, pure cryptocurrency isn't considered a financial product. So if you're buying a cryptocurrency uh, in Australia, uh, it's not going to be covered by or you're not going to be generally buying it from someone who holds an AFSL or giving you the protections of of their AFSL or financial services license. If you're buying a CFD or some other derivative over a cryptocurrency, you're getting the benefit because that CFD is, is considered a financial product, despite that it's about the price of cryptocurrency. And so you do then get the benefit of being able to go to AFCA, which is the Australian Financial Complaints Mm -hmm. uh, Associate Authority. Mm -hmm. Authority, yes. Yeah, good. Thank you, Ray. Uh, (laughs) And then you also get the benefit uh, if you're a retail client of of the firm having uh, professional indemnity insurance uh, and that they have regular audits and there's other um, regulation and, and registration around those firms. On the flip side, if if you're buying a pure cryptocurrency, generally it's going to be purchased from someone who who should have what's called a, a cryptocurrency exchange uh, registration, which is provided by Oztrack. Um, Sorry, that's the Australian Transaction <laughs> Reports and Analysis Centre, uh, and that's it's a it's not as um, a thorough or sophisticated registration as having a financial services license and, and we help firms get those and and a quick side note a quick sidebar conversation there what's Oztrack for the uh, for the listeners that's the regulator that's trying to to stamp out money laundering trying um, <laughs> there are, there's a lot going on but they're regulating a lot of banks a lot of small firms um, yeah so they're doing their best yeah, they 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 miss the they the miss the jobs. they miss the twenty two million uh, transactions that NAB did uh, for for a little while, didn't they? They finally caught up to them. Well, so did NAB missed it too. Um, <laughs> that's the flip side. It's very difficult legislation, very difficult to to pick up. So I do have some level of, of sympathy there, but um, it, it, yeah. It is a tough space, and I think it's worthy of comment from you as a as a lawyer in this space. 
are we keeping up with technology at this point, do you think, or is it just raging ahead and we're, we're always sort of, you know, on the back foot when it comes to legal and compliance compared to what tech is out there doing? It Getting rules put in place takes, takes an incredibly long time. It takes a long time to understand um, the pros and, and certainly the, con, the cons and the negative implications of any any new development. So, yeah, I, there's always a time lag, unfortunately, um, and things go wrong in the meantime. And even even the best made regulations will still have people who have no interest in following them. Uh, so, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're called criminals. <laughs> correct. Yeah, and those people will still exist. So. Um, there's the element of, of putting in place the rules in a timely way, but also in enforcing them. Um, and it, it's a difficult job for the regulator. I, I must admit, uh, having studied public administration moons ago, it's often enlightening when I try and explain. And being a lawyer yourself, you could uh, illuminate many people that you know formulating a law is not an overnight process. And the Law Reform Society and and the various state legislatures and and the law bodies, it takes time for people to be able to have input. And the one thing that I always say to people, sausages and laws, you know, they're the two things you don't want to be seen made. And unintended consequences are are also one of those aspects of rushed legislation or rushed laws. Mm. And this is no different when we're talking about uh, Austrac or CFDs. It's sometimes you've got to be able to sit back, I think, and say in the fullness of time. I love that Humphrey Appleby um, talk, but I, I think it's very valid, don't you? Mm. Yeah, look, and I think um, a lot of rules, even in the CFD space, have, have been put in place to to mitigate mitigate against bad conduct, which um, in some instances has continued to occur simply like you say, there's people who are just not interested in, in following the rules. So in some some aspects of, of law and finance and life, you keep making rules which apply to the good people and the bad people keep ignoring <laughs> them. So, yeah. uh, I, I guess one of the things that we keep on trying to do on this show is education and uh, one of the things that I know our firms have, uh, I guess, been able to work together is around the authorization process. And earlier this year, ASIC uh, went out and had morning tea with a number of people that were out there doing finfluencing, what we refer mm. to as finfluencing. And Philippa Hunt, one of my other collaborators, who is an ex-financial planner, we had a couple of shows on this, but I, I, I'm drawing conversation out here regards uh I guess technology moving ahead. We've got YouTube, we've got TikTok, we've got a lot of Insta as well, where there's a lot of financial information coming out in those arenas. What's your experience in that space, Sophie? In the Finfluencer space? Yes, and and also where people, you know, I I got approached, for example, just last week by real estate uh, so-called experts, but they were US-based, and I politely declined their offer to come onto the show because I said, you're not licensed here in this this jurisdiction. Mm. And so I have a very strong reluctance to be talking to people that aren't authorised in this part of the world. So do you have people that come from abroad or even, you know, the Finfluencers that operate here, have they come to your door? Yeah, we have over the years that we've been operating had a lot of conversations with people because the diff, the border between what's factual information, which doesn't 
require you to be licensed. If you say the price of Commonwealth Bank today is $100, that's a fact. But if you say Commonwealth Bank's likely to go up or I think it's a good stock or anything that becomes a little greyer and less factual, that's where you start moving into what they call general advice, which needs to be mm. licensed. And it's very hard for people um, who are trying, they're trying to have objective websites uh, and they don't want to be licensed because they're not sure how to monetize it, but they don't, that, which means that they can't get the license. But producing a website, which is, is just facts, which is just share prices or objectively ascertainable information, it's very difficult to stay within that boundary. Uh, so we have a lot of people who, who struggle with, with understanding and accepting that. And I think that's one of the difficulties of, of the Finfluencer space is that people feel that um, what they're saying is, is a fact, um, but what they're actually saying is, is something that, that's got more subjectivity to it. Oh, the way they're presenting it, um, it might be the way that you present it, what colours you present it with, the way you, you say it with a smile um, actually <laughs> turns it into being turns it into being a, a piece of general advice rather than, than a fact. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a space which um, is definitely on the move, but, but it's always been a, a point of contention. It's just that now these people are getting much, much broader audiences on social media. And I, I guess what challenges ASIC and the and the regulation environment is that the internet doesn't have a border. And so, you know, what what's on YouTube, we can't control. Uh, I mean, the, there's some interesting discussions going on right now about liability and, and the like and, and publishing, which I think is going to have the and something that's actually coming before the Supreme Court. Uh, is the recommendation engines. I don't know if you've caught wind of this, Sophie, but the Supreme Court in the United States is actually going to be hearing a case, not about Google or Facebook or anybody publishing content, but their algorithms that then recommends content is now up mm. for discussion. And that's where the money is. And so I'm going to be watching that one with a great deal of interest because that's been the big issue that we have found because we hold our own AFSL and we've talked to a number of these influencers and we've licensed none of them. And mm. fascinatingly, you know, we can't license them for a number of reasons. A, they're not qualified, which they get very cranky when we say they're not. But B, and particularly around crypto, uh, professional indemnity insurance won't touch us. Uh, we were actually told last week, touch that and we won't insure you. And so we had to say, sorry, mate, <laughs> we mm. can't do it. So, I mean, we're entering, again, even more interesting times, don't you find? Yeah, certainly. And there's a lot of moves by Google, uh, Visa, MasterCard, and a lot of the payment platforms, which is um, starting to inhibit and somewhat regulate financial services firms on top of the regulation that they're already getting from, from ASIC and, and Austrac. So we're definitely, um, this big, these big tech players are moving out of their core purpose now and, and becoming uh, quite authoritative and, and controlling for, for their own, potentially for their own nefarious purposes uh, or any purpose. Um, yeah, so... Make, making a buck. <laughs> that, and that's what they started out as. Um, but now they've sort of become common assets, but they're not they're not owned by the people. They're still owned by, by the shareholders. Yeah, and, so and, so and, it is something that's confusing and, and tricky. 
Yeah, I guess that's where, where my very strong socialist leanings, I think, come forward when, um, you know, the public interest is not being well served when there are shareholders involved, I, I always feel. But I, I think that's for another day. Uh, I, I think, Sophie, one of the things we always like to try and do on Dollars and Making Sense is, I guess, have a general discussion around education. And we've had a great discussion today around CFDs. We've had a good discussion around long and short positions uh, when people potentially invest. I think certainly I've learned a little bit about, you know, the magnifier effect of, of a CFD. Uh, and I guess personally, it, it makes me a little worrisome because when somebody says, hey, you can place a trade for one buck, but in actual fact, you're placing a trade for 100, I start getting very nervous with that. Um, but I think to round out our discussions, are there any resources you could recommend to the readers, uh, to the readers, to the listeners to go and read or to, other than just doing a Google search, do you find that there's a really good place that people can go to to, to yeah, sort of look, catch up on this stuff? It's definitely ASIC's uh, Money Smart is always a good place to start. I'd also have a look at some of the other uh, regulators around the world and the materials that, that they'd be producing too. So, uh, the Financial Conduct Authority in the, in the UK uh, has a lot of good good materials mm. out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly any material that's, that's produced by somebody who, who isn't also uh, selling products into the marketplace is, is going to be something um, that, that's good to, to have a look at. Even there's a lot of forums about uh, CFDs and CFD providers and, and financial products generally that uh, people should, should have a good read of. Wonderful. Yeah, as I say, Money Smart, start there. I, I, th- I Look, I, we plug Money Smart all the time on this show. I think it's a wonderful resource. It's done by the ATO and the government. So I always feel comfortable that, you know, there's no axe being ground there for sure. So, look, we've come to the end of our time, Sophie. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, you were there worried, you know, will we actually get through all this time? And I assured you that we, uh, you know, I can talk the door off a barn, I can tell you, but uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. We've covered some great ground that has been a real education for me, and I hope so for the listeners. And maybe we might have you back on the show one time. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Wonderful. Absolutely pleasure. And until next time. Thanks very kindly for coming along. Okay. Thanks, Ray.